Chapter thirty of Charlie to the Rescue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Saina Gadiani. Charlie to the Rescue by R. M. Valentine. Chapter thirty. Changes the scene somewhat violently and shows our hero in a new light. The result of our hero's consolation with the scout was not quite as satisfactory as it might have been. Charlie had hoped that Hunky Ben would have been able to stay with Shang till he should return from the old country, but found, to his regret, that that worthy was engaged to conduct still further into the great western wilderness a party of immigrants who wished to escape the evils of civilization and to set up a community of their own which should be founded on rightness, justice, and temperance. You see, sir, said the scout, I have given them my promise to guide them whenever they are ready to start, so as they may get ready and call for my services at any moment, I must hold myself free of other engagements. To say truth, even if they hadn't my promise, I would keep myself free to help them, for I have a liking for the good men. Half doctor, half person as well as jack of all trades, as had set the thing a-going. Moreover, I have a strong belief that all this fighting and scalping and flaying alive and roasting and revenge end the way to bring about good ends either among red men or white. I agree with you heartily, Ben, though I don't very well see how we are to alter it. However, we must leave the discussion of that difficulty to another time. The question at present is, what hope is there of your staying here even for a short time after I leave? For in Dick Darwell's present condition of mind, he is not much to be dependent on, and Jackson is too busy. You see, I want Shank to go out on horseback as much as possible, but in this unsettled region and time, he would not be safe except in the care of someone who knew the country and its habits, and who had some sort of sympathy with a broken-down man. All I can say, Mr. Brooke, is that I'll stay with your friend as long as I can, returned the scout, and when I'm obliged to make tracks for the west, I'll try to get another man to take my place. Anyhow, I think that Mr. Reeves, that's the name of the good man as wants me and his boss of the immigrants, would be able to get them all ready to start for some weeks yet. Charlie was obliged to content himself with this arrangement. Next day he was galloping eastward, convoyed part of the way by the scout on Black Polly and Dick Dorwall on Wheelbarrow. Soon he got into the region of railways and steamboats and in a few weeks more was once again in old england a postcard announced his arrival for charlie had learned wisdom from experience and feared to take anyone but surprise especially his mother we did not describe the second meeting of our hero with his kinder and friends in many respects it resembled the former when the bad news about shank came and there was the same conclave in mrs letter's parlor for old jacob crossley happened to be spending a holiday in silford at the time indeed he had latterly taken to spending much of his leisure time at that celebrated watering place owing it was supposed to the beneficial effect which the sea air had on his rheumatism but mary letter knew better with that discriminating penetration which would seem to be the natural accompaniment of youth and beauty she discerned that the old gentleman's motive for going so frequently to seaford was a compound motive first mr closely was getting tired of old bachelorhood and had at last begun to enjoy ladies society especially that of such ladies as mrs letter and mrs brooke to say nothing of may herself and miss mollow the worsted reserver who had come to reside permanently in the town and who had got the blackguard boy into blue ties and buttons to the amazement and confusion of the little dog scraggy whose mind was weakened in consequence so they said 
second mr clossy was remarkably fond of captain stride whom he abused like a pickpocket and stuck to like a brother besides playing backgammon with him nightly to the great satisfaction of the captain mrs and their little mac third mr clossy had no occasion to attend to business because business somehow attended to himself and poured its profits perennially into the old gentleman's pocket a pocket which was never full because it had a charitable hole in it somewhere which let the cash run out of as fast as it ran in fourth and last but not least mr clossy found considerable relief in getting away occasionally from his worthy housekeeper mrs bland this relief which he stopped letting off the steam at one time brushing away the cobwebs at another was invariably followed by a fit of amiability which resulted in a penitent spirit and ultimately took him back to town where he remained till mrs bland had again piled enough of eccentricity on the safely valve to render another letting off of steam on the seashore imperative what charlie learned at the meeting held in reference to the disappearance of old mr isaac leather was not satisfactory the rich man had so modelled his brain by constant tippling that it had become a question at last whether he was quite responsible for his actions in a fit of remorse after an attack of delirium tremens he had suddenly condemned himself as being a mean contemptible burden on his poor wife and daughter of course both wife and daughter asserted that his mere maintenance was no burden on them at all as in truth it was not when compared with intolerable weight of his intemperance and they did their best to soothe him but the idea seemed to have taken firm hold of him and preyed upon his mind until at last he left home one morning in a fit of despair and had not since been heard of have you no idea then where he has gone asked charlie no none said mrs leather with a tear trembling in her eye we know mother said may that he has gone to london the booking clerk at the station you know told us that did the clerk say to what part of london he booked no he could not remember besides if he had remembered that would be but a slight clue said mr crossley as well look for a needle in a bundle of hay as for a man in london as well go to sea without rudder or compass observed captain stride nevertheless said charlie rising i will make the attempt hopeless said crossley sheer madness added stride mrs leather shook her head and wept gently mrs brooks sighed and cast down her eyes miss mollow who was of the council being by that time cognizant of all the family secrets clapped her hands and looked miserable of all that conclave the only one who did not throw cold water on her hero was pretty little brown-eyed may she cast on him a look of trusting gratitude which blew a long smouldering spark into such a flame that the waters of niagara in winter could have failed to quench it i can tell you yet friends what i intend to do said charlie all i can say is that i'm off to london i shall probably be away some time but we write to mother occasionally so good-bye he said a good deal more of course but that was the gist of it may accompanied him to the door oh thank you thank you she said with trembling lip and cheerful eyes as she held out her hand i feel sure that you will find father i think i shall may indeed i also feel sure that i shall god helping me at the ticket office he found that the clerk remembered very little he knew the old gentleman well by sight indeed but was in the habit of selling tickets to so many people that it was impossible for him to remember where they booked to in fact the only thing that had fixed mr leather at all in his memory was the fact that the old man had dropped his ticket had no money to take another and had pleaded earnestly to let him have one on trust a request with which he dared not comply but fortunately a porter found and restored the ticket 
is the porter you refer to still here asked charlie yes he was there and charlie soon found him the porter recollected the incident perfectly for the old gentleman he said had made a considerable fuss about the lost ticket and you can remember the station he went to no sir but i do remember something about his saying he wanted to go to whitechapel i think it was or whitehall i forget which but i'm sure it was white something with this very slender clue charlie brooke presented himself in due time at scotland yard at which fountain head of london police some he gave a graphic account of the missing man and the circumstances attending his disappearance thence he went to the headquarters of the london city mission introduced himself to a sympathetic secretary there and was soon put in communication with one of the most intelligent of those valuable self-sacrificing and devoted men who may be styled the salt of the london slums this good man's district embraced part of whitechapel i will help you to the extent of my power mr brooke he said but your quest will be a difficult one perhaps dangerous how do you propose to go about it by visiting all the low lodging houses in whitechapel first said charlie that will take a long time said the city missionary smiling low lodging houses are somewhat numerous in these parts i am aware of that mr stansville and mean to take time returned our hero promptly and what i want of you is to take me into one or two of them so that i may see something of them while under your guidance after that i will get their streets and numbers from you or through you and will then visit them by myself but excuse me my friend returned the missionary your appearance in such places will attract more attention than you might wish and would interfere with your investigations besides exposing you to danger for the very worst characters in london are sometimes to be found in such places only men of the police force and visit missionaries can go among them with impunity i have counted the cost mr stansfield and intend to run the risk but thank you all the same for your well-meant warning can you go round one or two this afternoon i can with pleasure and will provide you with as many lodging houses addresses as i can procure do you live far from this no quite close a gentleman who was in your secretary's office when i called recommended a small lodging house kept by a mrs bod in the neighbourhood of flower and dean street you know that region well i suppose ay intimately and i know mrs bot too a very respectable woman come then let us start on your mission accordingly mr stansfield introduced his inexperienced friend into two of the principal lodging houses in the neighbourhood they merely passed through them and the missionary besides communicating on all that they saw told his new friend where and what to pay for a nice lodging he also explained the few rules that were connected with those things into which the dregs of the metropolitan human family ultimately settled then he accompanied charlie to the door of his new lodging and bade him good-night it was a dingy little room in which our hero found himself having an empty and rusty fire gate on one side and a window on the other from which there was visible a landscape of paved court the foreground of the landscape was a pump the middle distance a washtub and the background a brick wall about ten feet distance and fifteen feet high there was no sky to the landscape by reason of the next house the furniture was in keeping with the view observing a small sofa of the last century on its last legs in a corner charlie sat down on it and rose again instantly owing apparently to rheumatic complaints from its legs last sir said the landlady who had followed him into the room you don't need to fear any that so far sir has been in my family for three generations the frame was renewed before i was born and the legs i had taken off and new ones put on about fifteen years ago last easter as ever was my last lodger he went through the bottom of it which obliged me to have that renewed so it's stronger than ever it were 
if you only keep it well shoved up against the wall sir it will stand almost anyway only it won't stand jumping and you mustn't jump on it sir with your feet charlie promised solemnly that he would not jump on it either with his feet or head and then asked if he could have tea and a fire on being informed that he could have both he drew out his purse and said now mrs bott i expect to stay here for two or three weeks perhaps longer my name is brooke i was advised to come here by a gentleman in the offices of the city mission i shall have no visitors being utterly unknown in this neighbourhood except perhaps the missionary who parted from me at the door mr stansfield sir said the landlady yes you know him i've known him for years sir i shall only be too pleased to have any friend of his in my house i assure you that is well now mrs bott my motive in coming here is to discover a runaway relation last sir a little boy no mrs bott a eh? surely not a little girl sir said the landlady with a sympathetic expression it is of no consequence what or who the runaway relation is mrs bott i merely mention the fact in order that you may understand the reason of my any little eccentricity you may notice in my conduct and not perplex your mind about it for instance i shall have no regular hours maybe out late or early and maybe even all night you will give me a pass key and i will let myself in the only thing i will probably ask for will be a cup of tea or coffee pray let me have one about an hour hence i'm going out at present here is a week's rent in advance shall i put on a fire sir asked mrs bott well yes you may toaster yes yes said charlie opening the outer door hot or cold sir hot and bothered cried charlie with a laugh as he shut the door after him and rendered further communication impossible wending his way through the poor streets in the midst of which his lodging was situated our hero at last found an old clothes store which he entered i want a suit of old clothes he said to the owner a jew who came forward the jew smiled spread out his hands after the manner of a frenchman and said my shop sir is at your disposal after careful inspection charlie selected a fustian coat of extremely ragged appearance with treasures to match also a sealskin vest of a mangy complexion likewise a soiled and battered billy coat had so shockingly bad that it was difficult to imagine it to have ever had better days at all are they clean he asked been baked and fumigated sir answered the jew solemnly as the look and smell of the garments gave some countenance to the truth of his statement charlie paid the price demanded had them wrapped up in a green cotton handkerchief and carried them off arrived at his lodging he left himself in entered his room and threw the bundle in a corner then he rang for tea it was growing dark by that time but a yellow cotton blind shut out the prospect and a cheery fire in the grate lighted up the little room brightly casting a rich glow on the yellow white tablecloth which had been already spread and creating a feeling of coziness in powerful contrast to the sensation of dreariness which had assailed him on his first entrance when mrs bott had placed a paraffin lamp on the table with a dark brown teapot a thick glass sugar bowl a cream jug to match and a plate of thick buttered toast that scanned the atmosphere deliciously and hero thought not for the first time in his life that wealth was a delusion besides being a snare one wants but this little here below he mused as he glanced round the apartment but he wants it longer than that thought he as his eyes wandered to the ancient sofa which was obviously eighteen inches too short for him i hope you found him sir said mrs bott anxiously as she was about to retire found who your relation sir the little boy i mean girl 
no i have found neither the boy nor the girl returned the lodger sharply haven't even begun to look for them yet oh beg pardon sir i didn't know there was two of them neither are there there's only one fetch me some hot water mrs bod your tea is too good i never take it strong the landlady retired and on returning with the water found her lodger so deep in the newspaper that she did not venture to interrupt him theover charlie locked his door and clothed himself in his late purchase which fitted him fairly well considering that he had measured it only by eye putting on the billycock and tying the green cotter and kerchief loosely round his neck to hide his shirt he stepped in front of the looking-glass above the mantelpiece at sight of himself he was prepared to be amused but he had not expected to be shocked yet shocked he certainly was for the transformation was so complete that it suddenly revealed to him something of the depth of degradation to which he might fall to which many a man as good as himself if not better had fallen then amusement rose within him for he was the very view ideal of a typical burglar or a prize-fighter big square-shouldered deep-chested large chin the only parts that did not quite correspond to the tie were his straight well-formed nose and his clear blue eyes but these defects were put right by slightly drooping his eyelids pushing his billycock a little back on his head and drawing a lock of hair in a drunken fashion over his forehead suddenly an idea occurred to him slipping his latchkey into his pocket he went out of the house and closed the door softly then he rang the bell is the gentleman at home he asked of mrs bod in a gruff hoarse voice as if still engaged in a struggle with a bad cold what gentleman asked mrs bod eyeing him suspiciously why the gentleman has sent for me to give him boxing lesson buck or book or some such name brooke you mean said mrs bod still suspicious and interposing her solid person in the doorway ay that's the cove the gentleman i mean came here this afternoon to lodge with a missy bod or brute or shouting of that sort eh or mrs brute certainly not answered the landlady with indignation but i'm mrs bod well it's all the same i ask your pardon for the mistake but there's such a mixing up of brutes and brooks and boss and books that it comes hard of a man of no education to speak of to take it all in this gentleman mrs brute as said if he was out when i called i was to wait and say you was to make tea for two and have it laid in a bedroom as he had required a parlor for the meal the man's evident knowledge of her lodger's affairs and his gross stupidity disarmed mrs bott she would have laughed at his last speech if it had not been for the astounding conclusion tea in the bedroom and a meal in the parlour the first night was a degree of eccentricity that she had not even conceived of come in then young man she said making way you will find mr brooke in the parlour at his tea the prize-fighter stepped quickly along the dark passage into the parlour and while the somewhat sluggish mrs bod was closing the door she overheard her lodger exclaim ha jim miss this is good of you very good of you to come so promptly mrs bow shouting at the parlour door another cup and plate for mr mars and and bring the ham damn repeated mrs bod softly to herself as she gazed in perplexity around her little kitchen did they order a ham enabled to solve the riddle she gave it up and carried in the cup and saucer and plate i beg your pardon sir you mentioned a ham she began but stopped abruptly on seeing no one there but the prize-fighter standing before the fire in a free and easy manner with his hand in his breeches pocket 
the light of the street lamps had very imperfectly revealed the person of jim mace now that mrs butt saw him slouching in all his native hideousness against her mantelpiece in the full blaze of a paraffin lamp she inwardly congratulated herself that mr brooke was such a big strong man almost a match she thought for mace i thought you said the gentleman was in the parlor mrs burridge said mace inquiringly so he was answered the perplexed lady looking round the room didn't i hear him shading hands with you and shouting for him well mrs Bird, i don't know what you heard all i know is that i've not seen him yet he must be in the bedroom said mrs bott with a dazed look no he ain't there returned the prize-fighter i've been all over it looked under the bed into the cupboard through the keyhole perhaps he added turning quickly he may be up the chimney the expression on poor mrs Bott's face now alarmed charlie who instantly doffed his billcock and resumed his natural voice and manner forgive me mrs Bott, if i have been somewhat reckless he said in testing my disgrace in you i really had no intention till a few minutes ago of playing such a practical well well mr Brew, broke in the amazed yet amiable creature at this point i do assure you as i never have known you from the worst character in whitechapel i wouldn't have trusted you not with a sixpence you was born to be a play actor sir i declare that jem mays have given me a turn that but why disguise yourself in this way mr brooke because i am going to haunt the low lodging houses mrs bott and i could not well do that you know in the character of a gentleman and as you have taken it so amiably i am glad that i tried my hand here first for it will make me feel much more at ease and well it may sir i only hope it won't get you into trouble for if the police go looking for a bulgar or murderer or despite ruffian where you happen to be they are sure to run you in the only thing i would point out sir if i may be so free is that your hands and face is too clean that is easily remedied said charlie with a laugh as he stooped and rubbed his hands among the ashes then taking a piece of cinder he made sundry marks on his countenance therewith which when judiciously touched in with a little water and some ashes converted our hero into as thorough a scoundrel as ever walked the streets of london at unseasonable hours of night End of chapter thirty